Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. The episode you're about to hear was initially released as a Patreon exclusive. These episodes are typically shorter than the ones you're used to hearing, but we think they're still interesting, and we hope you'll agree. Welcome to Something's Not Right. It's me, Olivia. I don't have Tashana with me today, but standing in for her is J.R. Lind, this guy. Hi, Olivia. Hi. So what do you want to tell me about today? This is one of my favorite weird Nashville stories. Sad. And in full disclosure, he's told me this story before, but I mean, it was like years ago. So I don't really remember much of anything about it. So I'm looking forward to hearing this. Well, and in my fashion, whenever we pass by the location, I point out that that's the house in question. Sure. And, you know, I I do that a lot. I do that a lot, too. This is the story of Mary Northern. Mary Northern was born to a a fairly well-to-do Nashville family in 1905. They, They weren't rich, but they were well off enough that they sent her to Ward Belmont, uh, which was a finishing school for girls at the time. Ward Belmont. Thank you, Olivia. Uh, Ward Belmont is now Belmont University, but at the time it was a a finishing school for women. Uh, she graduated in 1924, and she was very beautiful, as we know from some self-portraits and uh, yearbook photos. And she loved painting and drawing. And after she graduated, she took a correspondence course in art from the Federal School of Art and Illustration. What's that? I have no idea. Uh, It's not like it was run by the government. I think it was just the name. But we have surviving letters from some of her instructors that urged her to keep going and were very uh, complimentary of her work. Uh, she drew, drew in what we would call an Art Deco style, although in the 30s they called it the style. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and she drew some covers for Vogue and Vanity Fair, although, and I don't know why it's unclear, but it's unclear if Vogue or Vanity Fair ever took the covers for publishing. But she definitely submitted them to Vogue and Vanity Fair. Uh, Gotta start somewhere. Yeah. And the surviving uh, drawings of hers are... A lot of them are these potential covers for these magazines. Uh, she also drew several pictures for the Iroquois steeplechase. A, there are still official paintings of the uh, the steeplechase, which is a big horse race here in Nashville on the second weekend of May. Uh, they still have an official artist, and it, it seems like she was maybe the official artist early on. And that's important to know because we know that uh, the steeplechase started in 1941. So... Into the 40s, at least, she was interacting with people. She was not the way she was later on, as we'll, we'll get to in a minute. 
she lived with her mother at 2614 Gallatin Road in what is now East Nashville. Uh, East Nashville, Tennessee, I believe is what they call it. That's I, that's where those. I would actually call it more Inglewood, but it's, uh, you know, <laughs> it's apparently it's a separate city. Who knew? Well, at the time, it was a separate city, um, but or at least almost. Uh, now, if you uh, if you're driving down Gallatin Road in East Nashville, it is where the Fat Mose is, right before the Margaret Maddox YMCA on your right hand side, heading out of town. Okay, I for some reason I thought it was somewhere completely different, like way out in Madison. I was I always thought it was too, but it was not. Oh, All right. gotcha. <laughs> I checked property records to make sure I was correct. Of course, you did. It was n- not for fun. Uh, Mary's mother died in 1960. And Mary, who by this time was already fairly reclusive, uh, essentially shut herself out from the world, only leaving her home to buy groceries for herself and food for her half dozen cats with mm. her Social Security check. Uh, into the 70s, the winter of 1976 and 1977 was brutal. It was the third coldest winter in the city's history. Actually, at the time, it was the second coldest winter through that time is now the third coldest winter. And Miss Mary, by this time, did not have electricity to her house, which is just unbelievable to me because this was the late 70s. This was not that long ago. That's, she, yeah. I don't know if she just stopped paying the bill or just decided she didn't need electricity or some combination thereof. But there was no electricity at 2614 Gallatin Road at the time. Uh, she used her uh, fireplace for heat and cooking and rarely left her rocking chair, which was in front of the fireplace, keeping her food underneath it. And stacking spent cigarettes on a nearby mantle. Uh, that winter, she burned her feet trying to warm them in the fire. Oh, goodness. So. Did she have anyone? I'm getting that. Okay. All right. All right. One of the best names I've ever read just offhand is this gentleman who helps her. Uh, the Reverend. Or the Reverend. The winter of 1977-78 was even worse than the winter before. It was the, and still ranks as the coldest winter. Uh, in the history of the city. Uh, coincidentally, the next winter, 78-79, is also one of the coldest winters in the city's history. Uh, if you go back and read science coverage from the late 70s, they they don't talk about global warming. They talk about fears of a little ice age, uh, which is strange to think about. Sure. <clears throat> one of the only people she ever spoke to was her neighbor. His name was the Reverend Sorrow Palmer. Which is spelled exactly sorrow, like okay. a man of constant sorrow. All right, gotcha. Uh, and he, along with a Department of Human Services employee, would sometimes check in with her and would occasionally bring her food. So, uh, in January of 1978, the Reverend Palmer saw that Miss Mary's feet were blackened and bloody uh, as a result of them not having healed from the winter before, oh and my. and being very very you know, cold and just not taken care of. So uh, essentially they were gangrenous. Uh, and the good reverend called DHS and the uh, the adult protective services division, which at the time was, was brand new, and said uh, that she had to be made to go to the hospital. And, and in the, you know, the reverend was acting out of the goodness of his heart. Obviously he wasn't just being like a nosy guy. They had a pretty good relationship, as we'll get to later. She had to be in pain, right? I'm sure she was. Or, I, I mean, if there was nerve damage, she may not have felt the pain. Oh, okay. Makes sense. So, Metro Police uh, arrived at the house, uh, which was 
they described as cluttered and darkened. Obviously, there was no electricity and she never left. So uh, she had French tapestries, which probably belonged to her family, which, as I mentioned, was fairly well off. And they were covered in cobwebs, but they were hanging up, uh, they suspect, to, you know, to make the room smaller and easier to heat with the fireplace. So uh, they dragged her out of the house and she was kicking and screaming. By this time, she's in her early to mid 70s. Wow. Well, let, let me back you up for just a second here. So. Would she be what we would call a hoarder, or was it not to that extent? It's hard to say. There weren't a lot of descriptions uh, of the inside of the house outside of the police who just said it was cluttered and it was it was messier more than anything else. It, okay. I don't know that she would be a hoarder because she didn't leave the house to so buy anything to hoard. Uh, so the things that were in the house were mostly things that belonged to her family and, like, food waste. Gotcha. And the six cats. Uh so the police dragged her out and took her kicking and screaming to Metro General Hospital, where the doctor said her feet needed to be amputated. Uh, and thus, for the first time, Miss Mary delivered her famous line, which she would say time and time again throughout this saga, quote, they aren't going to take my legs away from me. You understand that. So Mary and her court-appointed lawyer, who uh, is a woman named Carol McCoy, who would later serve as chancellor in Davidson County for 20 some odd years she actually just recently retired became a very well respected judge but at the time she was acting as a guardian ad litem for miss mary uh began to fight for her right to not have her feet cut off uh so most doctors agreed that she was uh certainly an eccentric woman and unusual Mm -hmm. but that she was by and large mentally competent uh she understood the court proceedings, yeah, you know, obviously she was hospitalized to not attend them, but uh, she understand what was going on, what the court battle was about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she understood what the doctors wanted to do. But the psychiatrists and her doctors testified that she had a mental block with her feet because she insisted they were just dirty and they were not diseased. She said they were covered in soot. Hmm. Um. So the courts said that this was enough uh, to declare her incompetent to make her own decisions and ordered the surgery, but uh, she and McCoy continued to appeal, uh, kept the scalpels at bay. Now, in the meantime, coincidentally, this is remarkable to me, uh, she received Whirlpool foot baths at Metro General and uh, and Nature, and uh, essentially the gangrene went away. Um, I didn't know that happened. <laughs> but uh, it healed much of the infection, and but it did expose bone. Ooh. And she did consent to have the exposed bone cut off. Ooh. Okay, so she still has not had her feet amputated. But the bone that has stuck out have been removed. Uh, so time and again, courts ruled the state through the APS division of DHS could order the surgery despite her protests. Uh, it eventually made its way to the Tennessee Supreme Court, which largely upheld the lower court reasoning, but added that its ruling would only apply if the patient was in imminent danger of death. McCoy then appealed to the United States Supreme Court, which uh, denied to hear the case, essentially. So the Tennessee Supreme Court ruling was sort of the guiding principle. Uh, the doctors at Metro General never performed the surgery because she was never really in imminent danger of death from the gangrene on her feet. Uh, however, 
She contracted pneumonia in the spring of 1978. Uh, she died of an embolism on May the 1st. She was 72 years old. Uh, and she is buried near the rest of her family at Mount Olivet. Nice. Like so many other prominent and well-to-do families. So in her will, Mary named the Reverend Palmer as her executor. And in 1979, he had her art displayed at what was then the Third National Bank building in downtown Nashville, which is now the Fifth Third Center. Uh, and then almost a year to the day after she was first taken to her home, this would be in January of 1979, there was an auction of the art at Maryland Farms in Brentwood uh, with the proceeds remaining after her estate was settled, although her estate did not have many debts because she didn't spend any money. Uh, the proceeds went to Belmont College which was essentially her alma mater, and to the Hospital Hospitality House, which uh, still exists over by Centennial Park. It's sort of a Ronald McDonald house, but not just for caregivers of uh, child patients. It's for anybody who you know, has a, someone they, they care for in a long-term care at a hospital. So some of the art was actually purchased by Cheekwood, which is a fairly prominent art museum here in Nashville. It sort of fits with the period of time of kind of what Cheatwood displays generally. Um, other museums bought it, and critics said that it wasn't, you know, she wasn't a lost genius by any stretch of the imagination, but it was very representative of the time period. Uh, the art was very personal, and a lot of it was of of Nashville-specific scenes of the time, so it, it was uh, noteworthy, if not, you know, it wasn't Picasso or anything, but... That's really cool, though. Yeah. Is that is much of it available online? Yeah, uh, and um, in the show notes, I assume you'll put the links to some of the stuff I have. Uh, I can certainly do that because one of the one of the major articles I used was an article from the Tennessean at the time of the auction, and it has a lot of pictures of the art. Uh, I think it's great looking, and it's uh, you know, it's just sort of like a sad footnote to all this. Sure, because most of what you hear about Mary Northern is uh, this was a big national story. This was not just a Nashville story. Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, because it's it was, you know, it's, it's a big medical ethics question about whether, you know, doctors have a right to tell you that you have to have a surgery if you don't want it. Uh, and because by and large, she was mentally competent. She was just, you know, unusual. So there was, the story was profiled in Time Magazine, um, which if you have a Time Magazine subscription, you can read online. If you don't, then you get the first paragraph. Uh, it also got coverage from the Boston Globe. Uh, again, one of the sources I used, the, a column about Mary Northern was written in the Boston Globe, was reprinted in the Tennessean. Uh, it asks a lot of hard questions that, you know, still 40-some-odd years later don't really have easy answers. Um the case is still taught uh, as a practical matter to caregivers, to people who work for departments of human services around the country, uh, who care for elderly patients. Uh, and the legal standard has changed, the standard that was set in Northern versus Tennessee. But it still is cited in court cases today because it sort of was one of the first important cases about care of people who maybe on the edge of competence, but are not comatose, she could still give responses. So uh, Miss Mary has an enduring legacy in both the legal world and in the art world. I assume you can see her pictures at Cheekwood now. I know uh, several years ago, 
when the steeplechase was going on, that they did uh, a presentation of some of the pictures she had painted for those early steeplechases. And very, that's Mary Northern. Very cool. And now her home is a fat mouse. Oh, well, which is the home is not there, but it, Fat Moses on the property. Excellent. There's a hair world nearby as well. A hair world nearby? <laughs> no, <laughs> I know it's hard. Are to Are you believe. kidding? Uh, do you know Jesse James? Uh, he lived, stayed at a hair. He world? lived at a hair world. Yeah, wow, a lot of people don't know that. I did not know that. <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, well, thank you for sharing that. And I don't know if you did this on purpose, Olivia, but. May the 1st will be uh, uh, the anniversary of her death. <laughs> oh, no, I did not do that on purpose. It's just worked out that way. We had had one like that recently. I think it was John B. Wilson. We had that one out like right around the time that happened. Well, but, you should say that you did it on purpose. Well, I should. I should learn to quit being so humble and start fucking lying. But, you know, I don't know. Is that the? That's the story of Mary Northern. Excellent. Excellent. Um, well, I will definitely provide the links that you gave me for your sources of research. And uh, other than that, I'm here to tell everybody for the 150th time that Tashana and I will be attending the inaugural True Crime Podcast Festival on July 13th in Chicago. We would really love to see you there. And you can go take a look at the website for the event at tcpf2019.com to find information on tickets and the other shows that are going to be there. There are a lot of a lot of my favorites that'll be there. And when you buy your ticket, make sure to mention something's not right on the ticket registration survey. Thank you as always to Justin from Mysterious Circumstances, Audrey Arndt, Jessica Ashley, Patton Fuquay, Allison Klima, Kathy Lind, Janet Logan, and Terry Quillen. Goodbye. Goodbye. In 1969, 12-year-old Kathy Jones was brutally murdered in South Nashville. 49 years later, the crime remains unsolved, officially. This is Olivia Lind from Something's Not Right, and I'm creating Flat Rock, an investigative podcast about the murder of Kathy Jones, one of Nashville's most infamous and coldest unsolved murders. For more information, please visit Flat Rock Pod dot com.